All right, welcome back. Welcome back. You can grab a seat. Grab a seat. Hope you're doing well. If we haven't met, I'm Zach. Like Austin said, I help lead the college ministry. And if you're a college student and you haven't come yet on a Thursday night, you should totally come. We will make room for you. So come. It's a, it's a great place to be. Well, we're excited to be here. Romans 6. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that and turn to Romans chapter 6. We're going to continue our series through the book of Romans, and we're going to cover the second half of this chapter. As you're turning there, do you guys know what a free agent is? Like in sports or something? <laughs> a free agent? Valentine's Day is coming up. Some people are like, I am a free agent. Come find me. <laughs> I'm ready. I got, <laughs> I got some college guys who are ready. Tell me. Uh, I'm talking like a free agent in the NFL, professional sports. You know, although I think NIL may have had this effect on college sports, but mostly NFL free agency, long story short, a free agent is someone who was on a team or was undrafted, they're a free agent. They were on a team, they had a contract, they're on this team, and that contract ran out, okay, they, they did their time, they got paid, and now they're a free agent, free to play for any team, uh, that the highest bidder, whoever comes and finds them, and so free agency is a big deal, NFL, okay, the teams want to sign the best free agents, they usually go wild, okay, like, I think when, when Peyton Manning was a free agent, this was a big deal, okay, Drew Brees, any Lions fans, do you guys know, the, like, according to this article I read yesterday, what the greatest Lions free agency signing of all time is? Probably not. It's, it's Golden Tate, 2014. Anybody know that guy? The second was a kicker, Matt Prater, according to this one article, a kicker, greatest free agent. Anyways, free agent, okay, someone who was on a team and they did their time. Basically, here's what free agency is. Hey, I'm no longer committed to one team. Okay, I can go play from whatever team I want to play. I'm going to go to the highest bidder. Whichever team's going to benefit me the most this next season, I'm going to go there. And, and that's when I'm going to go, show me the money, show me the rings, but I'm not part of a team. Well, I start there this morning because we're in Romans 6, and, and back in Rome, in Paul's day, there were some people who considered themselves to be free agents. And what, what do I mean by that? Well, here's what's happened in the book of Romans so far. Okay, so we're five chapters into this thing, or chapter 6 now, but for about five chapters, Paul has just been unloading these incredible truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, just all over the place, this incredible idea that we've been set free from our sin, that we're great sinners in need of a great savior, that the law of God has been satisfied, the wrath of God has been satisfied in Christ, he has set us free, he's paid for our sins, this is a great deal, we're, we're free. But right about this time in the chapter, Paul, he starts to ask some rhetorical questions that probably weren't so much rhetorical questions, but real questions from some people who back then who heard this new deal in Jesus Christ and began to wonder what they could get out of it. Or in other words, they said, okay, I'm, I'm free in Christ, just how free am I? You see, you kind of see it in, in verse 1 and, and in verse 15 of Romans 6. People began asking questions about this new thing in Jesus, basically saying this, okay, I'm set free from sin. Well, that, then now, man, I'm a free agent. I'm not on any team I can go wherever I want. I can do whatever I want. Like, if my sins are going to get paid for, like if the tab's going to get covered, man, I'll just, I'll just go to the highest bidder whenever I feel like it. Okay, I'll just go play for whatever team's no strings attached. Or in other words, you know, okay, fine. If on this day I feel like being holy and godly, I'll go play for that team. But I'm not on the team. And so if another day sin seems more attractive to me or I want to chase my own desires... Man, I'll go play for that team. I'm a free agent. I don't have to do anything here. 
Well, it's that line of thinking in Paul's day, and Austin said it last week, also in our day. The question is this, since we've been set free, are we free to do what we want? See, that's the question verse 1 asks, verse 15, to kick off our section. Basically, if the tab's covered, why not just run the tab up? You see, this morning, Paul's going to make the case in Romans 6 that there are no free agents in this life, spiritually speaking. In fact, he's going to do something in this text. It's pretty interesting. He's going to take that idea of freedom, like your idea of freedom, my idea of freedom, and he's going to, he's going to play with it a little bit. He's going to poke it, and really, he's going to maybe expose it to us. That's what he's doing in Romans 6. Let me show you what I mean. So we're in Romans 6. We're going to start in verse 15. Paul here is going to launch you to a line of thought. It's going to run us all the way home to the end of the chapter. He's already answered one question from the self-proclaimed free agents. We saw it last week. And the answer was, you're either dead in sin or dead to sin. There's no difference here. That we've been united to Jesus and his victory over death. We'll be united in his resurrection. And then verse 14, look at it, kind of set us up for this morning. He says, for sin will no longer have dominion over you. You're not under law. You're under grace. See, that's an incredible line that sets up another incredible question and answer from Paul. So let me say that. We'll jump in. Basically, he's going to argue <clears throat> there's no free agents. There's only two teams here, and you're on one of them. And, and with this, he's going to give us a couple different lanes to run in with the rest of the chapter. He says there's two masters, there's two paths, and two destinies. That there's only two masters in this life. That'll lead to the two paths that you can be on. And those two paths lead to two different destinies. There's no middle option. There's no third way. There's only two. And so let's start in Romans 6, verse 15. There's only two masters. That's where he's going to start. Verse 15, he starts with a question. It says this, well, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? And then his answer is what? By no means. Verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. And so Paul here, he kind of jumps into his answer in a very interesting way. Look at, look at verse 16 again slowly. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey. You see, what, what Paul does here is pretty wild. He's basically telling these guys, hey, we're all on a team. Like, everyone's on a team. Ain't no free agents, but he, he's not using a team and coach illustration here. No, he's using what? A master-slave illustration. And his argument is, is clear. It's actually pretty simple. He says this, you are a slave to whatever you obey. That's what he says, that you are a slave to what you obey, that, that you and I and every human being on this planet is placed under this reality that we're going to obey something. And whatever that something is, you're enslaved to it. And he only gives us two options. He says this, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. You know, which if you read that, it kind of reads weird, right? Like, why doesn't it say either of sin, which leads to death, or of God, which leads to life. 
Like, because that would be the opposite, right, of those two things. Well, to Paul, here's his point. Obedience to God and obedience to his ways, well, that is obedience. That is true obedience. And righteousness and right living, well, that is the way of life. To him, they're two and the same. So Paul here, he says, you got two options. You're either a slave to sin or you can be a slave to God. It's his dramatic way of saying you can either obey your sin and your desires and your impulses or you can obey God. Okay, now, if you're anything like me at, at this point, like, I got some questions about this stuff. Like, Paul, what do you mean we're slaves? I ain't no slave. Like, what does he mean by this? Like, I think even from both sides, like, people will be asking questions. Like, people who don't know Jesus, non-believers, I'm not a slave. I'm free. I'm not a slave to anything. You guys, you, you Christians, you religious people are the ones enslaved. I'm not, I'm not enslaved to nothing. I'm free. It's you guys that are enslaved. You see, but I think for the Christian, it's even more confusing. It's like, wait a second, Paul. I thought we were free. Like, didn't you just say we were free in Romans 6? Like, aren't we, don't we sing about this? Free, free, forever I'm free. Didn't we just sing about the prison doors being opened and, and we're free? Paul, what do you mean we're still in prison? Plus, I'm an American. <laughs> and I'm proud because at least I know I'm free. You see, it's actually right there that Paul, he takes our view of freedom and he pokes at it and he exposes it. You see, to Paul, at least in this sense, he makes this one life-changing declaration about freedom and it's this, freedom is an illusion. That's what he's saying here. That freedom, at least in some sense, in the way a lot of people define it, being free from all restraints, man, that's an illusion. Paul would say, no, that, that kind of freedom, that doesn't exist. In fact, to be human and to be free, they can't coexist. <laughs> We're all enslaved to something. You know, I think for many people who don't know Jesus, this is kind of the trip up, right? It's like, wait a second. So coming to Jesus means, okay, I've got my freedom, but if I come to Jesus i got to give up the freedom and come to Jesus. See, that's the biggest miss of all time. Because they don't realize, no, no, you're actually enslaved. You're not free. Well, enslaved to what, Zach? To your desires or to your impulses. Everybody is enslaved to it. I'll illustrate like this. I've said this once before. Um, <coughs> one of my greatest weaknesses in life is Dot's pretzels. You guys know what I'm talking about? <coughs> Yeah, Dots pretzels. I, last time I used this as an illustration, someone gave me big bags of Dots pretzels. So anyways, I, I don't fuel my desires. Anyways, here's the deal. Dots are my, it's, man, it's my kryptonite. It's my drug of choice, okay, my guilty pleasure. Hey, imagine for a moment. Hey, anybody else? Dots pretzels, anybody? Okay, shout out. Okay, hands down. Hey, imagine for a moment. See, you can plug in whatever it is for you. Everybody has this. Okay, imagine for a moment after this bad boy, I'm going to Meyer. Okay, I'm checking out. And, I, you know, I got my groceries. I turn the corner, self-checkout, and there they are. <laughs> that big red bag of two-thirds filled to the brim, glorious pretzels from Dorothy Dot Henke from North Dakota. Imagine that, okay? And I see them. Now imagine if, now, now imagine if, this is not true mostly, but imagine if every time I see it, I buy it. Like, without fail, like every time I buy it. I give in to my impulses. And I buy it. Like, I've got the freedom to do it. I've got the money to buy it every single time. I'm free to buy it. I do it. Like, when my impulses tell me to do it, I'm free. Man, I'm free to buy it, right? 
I'm free from restraint, free from judgment from all you heathens. But I'm, I may not be free from sodium, but I'm free <laughs> to buy it. The question is, am I free to buy those pretzels or am I enslaved to those pretzels? <laughs> like if I know it don't taste good, it's going to hurt later. You know, like it's bad, it's going to be bad for me. If every single time I give in to those impulses, buy it, buy it, buy it. Am I free or am I enslaved? Or what about the dude, you know, in college who's like, bro, every time I want to drink, every night if I want to drink, I drink. Like if I want to get drunk, every time I'm free to do it. I'm free to drink. I'm going to drink every time my body tells me to drink. Or the, or the guy's like, and, and if I want to sleep with any girl, I'm going to do it. I'm free to sleep with anyone I want. Or any time I want to have sexual release, I'm going to do it, man. I'm going to watch porn. I'm free to do it. I have all the money in the world. I can, I'm free to buy anything I want. Anything that my body tells me to do, I'm going to do it. Is that person free? Nah, man, it's not free. He's enslaved. Enslaved to his desires. This is what Paul is saying. You are a slave to whatever you obey. This is what he's saying here. All of us are enslaved to our desires. Life is a battle of competing desires. The question is not, are you going to obey your desires? The question is, which ones are you going to obey? And that's what Paul is doing here. You see, it's when you get that into your bones, you start to realize that this thing about freedom, man, it changes the way you think about that. I love this quote from A.W. Pink. He says, his last name's Pink. That's funny. A.W. Pink, talking about freedom, he says this. True freedom is not the power to live as we please, but to live as we ought. He says, true freedom. It's not the power to live as you want, desire, please. No, no, no. It's the power to live as you should, to live as you ought. Which really highlights two things Paul's getting at here. First, true freedom is not about losing restraints. It's about choosing the right restraints to submit to. That's what freedom is. You're going to submit to restraints. I've heard it said like this, like, when is the fish most free? Is it free when it's, on, when it's out of the water and it's on the land and finally it's broken free from its restraints and it can go see the world on the land? Or is it most free when it's in the water to be a fish and to actually live? That's what true freedom is. And the second thing he's getting at here is it's speaking about the the idea that life is a battle of desires. That you and I, all of us, we have desires that pop up into our life every day. You got different desires, sometimes even competing ones. But true freedom is the ability to say no to the desires that are going to kill you and yes to the desires that give you life. That is true freedom. I've heard it said like this. It's pretty helpful. Most of the time, freedom like true freedom, what we're trying to get at here, is found in saying yes to your deep desires and no to your immediate desires. Like most of the time. What do I mean by that? Saying yes to your deep desires. All of you in here, you've got deep desires in your heart, things you want most in this life. They come from convictions or beliefs or goals. Like for example, I have a deep desire to be faithful to Jesus, to be faithful to my wife, Mally 
to be honest, not to cut corners, to be hardworking, to be the kind of man that my daughter looks up to. Like, these are all deep desires I have. But also, as I live life, man, these, these other desires pop up. And, and, and they promise immediate gratification. And they're strong. You can call them temptations. And they're at odds with my desires. The question is, in that moment, which desires will you obey? Will you obey the deep ones and hold true to it? The ones that Paul says leads to righteousness and life, or will you give in to the immediate desires that promise, like Paul says, death? (laughs) You see, true freedom, it's not the power to do as you please in the moment, but the power to do as you should. Okay, moving on here through Romans 6. Maybe you're like, okay, Zach, cool. I'll I'll concede. I'm going to be a slave to what I obey. Okay, fine. But how do I obey God if I don't even want to do that in the first place? Like you're talking about these deep desire stuff. Like what if mine's not obey God? What if it's chase sin? Like what do I do? What if I don't want to desire God? Well, keep keep reading in Romans 6 because there's one more, there's a couple more interesting things here on this two masters thing that Paul's fleshing out. Look at verse 17 again of Romans 6. Verse 17 says this, but thanks be to who? God, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. I would underline that right there. To the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, become slaves of righteousness. And so Paul here, he's talking about the transfer of loyalty from one master to the other when you become a Christian. That when you, like when you stop bowing to knee to sin and obeying him, and you now bow the knee to Jesus, there's been a transfer of allegiance, of loyalty to the Lord. Once you were a slave of sin, now you're a slave of righteousness. But notice something here. Paul, he, he snuck a couple of phrases in that are pretty interesting. First, it says we become obedient from what? From the heart. Obedient from the heart. What does that mean? Well, in in other words, this is what he's trying to say. Like, our slavery to God, it's not one of, like, forced, like, brute force from the outside slavery. No, no, no. It's from delight from the inside. That's what our slavery to God is about. It's not forced coercion. Like, obey me. It's not coming from the outside. No, no, it comes from delight. It's obedience from the heart where you actually want to obey God. That's what slavery is here to God. We obey out of desire, out of delight. Like, you'll sometimes hear people say this. I came into the kingdom of God kicking and screaming. You guys ever heard this? Like, kicking and screaming. Like, I didn't want to become a Christian, but I was, you know, I was chasing my own things. I would rather be out there, but God brought me in. I didn't want to do that. That is far from the truth. That's not how this thing works. No, no, no. You chose to obey God because you saw something. You saw something in Jesus. You heard the message of forgiveness of sins and the death and resurrection of the King of Kings, and something hit you. You saw it as good and true and beautiful, and you obeyed from the heart. It wasn't forced, but out of delight. You see, this new heart, for the first time, it doesn't just have the ability to choose what is right, but the desire to. And that's the difference. It's not just the power to do what you should, it's the want to. 
It's you actually want to do it. You want to obey God. That's the difference between true freedom. Like if you've never wanted to do what is right, you've not had a heart change, but you have the desire to. You see, that's the difference between true freedom and true slavery. You want to know what true slavery is? It's like having the heart desire to do something that's going to kill you. Like you actually want to do the thing that's going to kill you. That, that's awful. That's slavery. Like if you, if you had taste buds and the only thing you liked to drink was rat poison, that's bad. But that's what it's saying here. That's all you want to drink. Well, that's slavery. Then what is true freedom? No, I mean, true freedom is actually having the heart desire to do what is right, to do what is good, what's going to bring you life. And so here's where things get really interesting in Romans 6, because imagine if you're like, okay, Zach, how do I get a heart like that? Like, I don't want to obey God, but like, I I want to want to. Like, I, I have a desire to desire it, but I don't have it. What do I do? Well, the question is, who gives you a new heart? Because if that's you, if you're asking that question, you're close. You're so close, dude. But pay attention to the logic. Look at verse 17. Who gave them the heart? Who is responsible for the heart change? Notice the logic, verse 17. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, you became obedient from the heart. God does it. That's what he's saying here. God is the one who moves us from slaves of sin to slaves of God, obeying him from the heart. You see, their response to that teaching, that truth, obedience from the heart, that came from God. Your response to God, obedience from the heart, didn't come from you. It didn't come from me. No, it came from God. Or else Paul would have said, wow, you did it. You did the math. Like you weighed the options. You saw the two choices and you picked the right one. Congrats. He doesn't say that, does he? But thanks be to God. You see, God is the one who changes hearts. If you're a Christian in here, you didn't change your heart. You had a change of heart. And there's a difference. God is the one that changed it. And if you're not a Christian in here, you need God to change your heart. And listen, he wants to. Oh, he'll do it. He wants to change hearts. He's in the business of changing hearts. In fact, I would make the case that if you're here this morning for the first time, and you've been chasing sin your whole life, you're like, I'm a slave to sin. And you're here this morning because you realize chasing sin is not leading to life for you. You've gotten to the end of that road. Death tastes bad. I don't want to drink rat poison. You got to this point where actually I would make the case if there's even an ounce of you that wants freedom, if there's even an ounce that wants God now, oh, he's already doing something. In fact, he may have already given you a new heart. This is what he's saying here. God is the one that gives us a new heart. And so the question I want to ask now before we move on is this, <laughs> is this your story? Like, have you experienced a change of heart? Like new desires. Can you point to a past life that had desires that are now gone because you've got a new heart? I was like, how do I know? How do you know if you've had a change of heart? Well, Paul says it, right? He says, obedience reveals the identity of your master. 
obedience. The question is this, who do you obey? That's how you know who your master is. That's what Paul says. Who are you obeying? And not obeying like this morning when you're in the room with other people. No, I'm talking about who do you obey when you're alone? Or alone with a phone? Or alone and your family's out of town? Or when you're at work alone and you can cut corners? That's what character is, right? Like what you do when no one's looking. This is the same, obedience. Who do you obey? That'll show who your master is. You got two masters, either God or sin. There is no free agency. Okay, let's keep going. These last two will be quicker. Because depending on who your master is, will determine what kind of life you live and what kind of path you're on. There's two paths here that Paul mentions. Look at verse 19. We'll push forward a little bit. Verse 19, Paul says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. That's a, that's a diss. Okay. For, <laughs> for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now... Present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So here, Paul basically, he's making the point. He's trying to ask him, think through, okay, this question. Okay, if God is my master now, well, how should I live life? Like, what do I do? Now that I'm, okay, I'm a slave to God, what do I do now? And he contrasts two different paths of living here, centered around the idea of presenting your members. Do you see it? Twice. Presenting your members. What does that mean? to present your members. Well, Austin, he hit on this last week. I won't go too deep. But the word present means to actively give yourself to. Okay, so you're actively giving yourself to. It's not a passive thing. It's an active thing. It's intentional. Like presenting yourself to, present what? What does it say? Your members. What does that mean, members? Well, he's talking about either your mental faculties or your body parts. Or in other words, present your mind and your body and you got two options, either to sin or to God. That's what he's saying here. You can present your mind and body as slaves to sin or as slaves to righteousness. But notice, that, notice what it says. It's not a one-time thing like with no further effect. No, no, it's, it's doing something. Do you see it? It says, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, which does what? Leads to more lawlessness. So now present yourselves as Slaves to righteousness, which does what? Well, it leads to more righteousness, and that's what the word sanctification means. It's over time, righteous, more righteous, more righteous. It's going to lead to Christ-likeness and being sanctified. Do you see what he's doing here? He's making the case that a life of sin leads to more sin, and a life of righteousness leads to more righteousness. Those are the two paths in front of you. Okay, if sin is your master, it's going to lead to more sin and more sin, but if God or righteousness is your master, it's going to lead to a path of righteousness, right? Psalm 23, he leads me in paths of righteousness. So those, those are the options here. But there's something, there's something inside Paul's point, another point that he's making here, that I think is very helpful for us to understand. Okay, he's basically making the argument and the case that what you feed grows. Like whatever you feed is going to grow. And the opposite is also true. Whatever you starve is going to die. Okay, what you feed grows. What you starve is going to die. Anybody out here try to become a plant person? Any plant people out here? My wife has tried this a few times. Like you're at Horrocks, and you, you've never taken care of a plant before, but you see this plant, and you're like, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to buy the plant. I'm going to nurture it. 
It's going to become my best friend. You're going to become the Lorax, guardian of the trees. You know, you got to take care of it, right? Let it grow. Let it grow. You're going to be the guy, right? Until what happens? Man, you forget about that thing. You bought it. You go on vacation, probably, and then you forgot. And what happens? It dies. Tragic. Your best friend, dead. Anyways, <laughs> how did it die? Well, how did it die? Because you starved it. You didn't feed it. You're not a Lorax, you're the guy at the end, the move, the bad guy, right? Let it die, let it die. That's you. Let it shrivel up and die. This, that's what you did to the plant. The point is the same. What is Paul saying here? What you feed grows. What you starve dies. If you feed sin, it's going to grow. If you starve sin, it will die. Likewise, if you feed righteousness, it'll grow. If you starve it, it will die. This is the point that he's making here. And the thing that's so helpful, that's a good word for us, because even as Christians, who, yes, God is our master, we're no longer enslaved to sin, we're still tempted to feed our sin. And when you feed it, it's going to grow and grow and go, grow. And so what Paul is doing here is trying to encourage us, no, 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 we got to present our members to God, not to sin. So we don't present our time to sin, our mind to sin, our body to sin, but instead... The path forward is to do the opposite. Okay, go back to like the immediate and deep desire thing. Like the reason why desires get stronger is because you feed them. And you guys know this, right? You got a desire for pride. If you feed it, it's going to continue to grow. You got a desire for sexual sin. If you feed it, it's going to continue to grow. If you have a desire for materialism, gossip, slander, whatever it is, whatever you feed, it's going to grow. It becomes stronger and stronger. But listen, the path forward in this life is to do the opposite of that. It's to starve the immediate desires, your strong ones, and to feed the deep ones. To just feed your deep desires as much as you can and to starve the temptations in life. Not to give yourself over to it, but to think about what you really want in this life and to add fuel to it. That's the only way you're going to win. It's to stop presenting your members to sin and instead present it to God by feeding your desire for holiness. And if you do that, I'm telling you, if you feed your deep desires for holiness, for godliness, for purity, it will grow so strong. It will wipe the floor with every other temptation and sin that comes. The first round, it will knock it out. If you feed it, it will wipe the floor. It won't stand a chance. We want to feed our deep desires. This is the command from Paul here. Present your members as slaves to righteousness. Or in other words, every day, you try to get this into your bones. Like, I'm going to present my members to God. What does this look like? I mean, it's praying. God, I, I give you my mind. Renew it by the scriptures. Help me stay focused on you. God, I give you my eyes. Turn me away from seeing worthless things. Help me see the beautiful things. God, I give you my ears. Help me stop filling it with filth and help me fill it with your word. Help me hear your voice. God, I give you my mouth. Help me to speak the gospel. God, I give you my hands. Help me to serve others. God, I give you my feet. Lead me to places and people who need to hear the gospel. God, I give you my sexuality, my time, my money, my family, my friends. All that I have and all that I am, I give it to you. If you will do that, that's how you'll win. It's the only way. That's the only way you're going to beat sin is if you feed your deep desires for holiness, you present your members to God. Listen, believer in the room, 
You're not enslaved to sin. You've been set free. Like, I don't know what sin comes to mind when you think, man, I'll never kill that one. Like, it's like autopilot. I'll always go to it. No, listen, away with that. There's freedom for you. This is what Paul is saying here. Righteousness leads to more righteousness, leading to sanctification, meaning you can win. There's hope for us here. What you feed grows. Feed your faith. Feed godliness and watch it take over your life. And finally, that leads me to the last point. Paul's going to close out his argument, basically making the case that whoever your master is in this life is going to lead to the path that your life is on. And whatever path you're on is going to lead to your destiny after this life. And again, there's only two options here. Look at Romans 6, verse 20. Paul says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But, but what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin, have become slaves of God... The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And then a very popular verse here, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Paul here, he kind of pushes some things to the end and, and he doesn't hold punches here. Okay, he pretty much says in verse 20, hey, when you are a slave to sin, like free in regard to righteousness, like you weren't doing righteous stuff. You just basically do whatever you wanted. He says this, but at what cost? Verse 21, but what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? See, Paul, he pretty much asked here, hey, remember those things you used to go to in your old life? Was it worth it? Like, was it worth it? What fruit were you getting from those things? Okay, which, honestly, it's pretty intense here. Here's what Paul is basically doing. Like, hey, bro, when you committed adultery, what'd you get? Did you get joy? Satisfaction? Contentment? No, dude, you got divorce. You lost everything. You lost your kids. You lost your income. Or, hey, when you used to be an alcoholic, what'd you get? Joy? He says, no, no you got a, a hangover, a DWI. You lost your job. When you used to cuss like a sailor, chase satisfaction from other people, when you used to be a workaholic, and you sacrificed all those hours with the kids so you could work, what'd you get, a little bit more money? This is what Paul's doing here. He kind of lays into them. Why? So he could deliver this truth. The end of those things is death. That's what it says, death. The sin you once served always leads to death. That's the fruit. That's the cost. Sin always costs more than you think. That's what he's saying here. I've heard it said, sin always hides the price tag. You guys know what I mean by that? Like you're at Costco, you see something you want, oh, it's nice, but there's no price tag on it. So you grab that bad boy, you put it in the cart, you go shopping, now you're checking out, scan your card, scan the thing, oh, it's way more expensive than you thought. And you start asking the question, how could this cost me that? That's what sin does. That's what it does. 
you get to the end of life, you scan that bad boy, you do it, and then you realize it costs you everything. For the wages of sin is death. That's a destiny, death. Physical death, sure. Emotional death, mental death, relational death, sure. But here, it's not talking about those things. No, that's talking about spiritual death, right? Eternity apart from God, hell, that's the cost. Sin always has a cost here. That's the wage. But then, Paul points to another way, another end. He says, the sin you once served always leads to death, but the Savior you now serve, it leads to life. Look at verse 22 again. He says, but now, skip to the end, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin, death, but the free gift of God, eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Listen, oh, Siri wants to talk. Let's go, baby. (laughs) Well, that's a good verse right there. Verse 23. In fact, that's probably as clear as it gets when it comes to the gospel message, like the good news of Jesus. That's what it is. Verse 23. Sin is the most expensive decision you'll ever make, but following Jesus is the wisest investment you could ever make. That's what he's saying here. Sin, there's a wage. With Jesus, there's a gift. You guys know what a wage is? Usually, who pays a wage? Who pays you your wage? Well, the boss does, right? The employer. But this doesn't say the boss, like when you sin, it doesn't say the boss dies, although some of you might like that. No, no, that's not what it says says here. No, no, no. Sinners must pay their own salary. That's what it's, or in other words, you actually chose to be your own boss your whole life, and then in the end, yeah, the boss pays for it. You do. That's what it's saying here. Sin, it always comes at a cost, and it always leads to death. But then in steps Jesus, right? The story of all stories. The sacrifice of all sacrifices. This is what Jesus does here. He doesn't sweep away the cost with a broom. No, he dies for the cost with his body. This is what he does for us. And check it, when Jesus did that, like when he saw you and he made the decision to buy you and buy you back, all these things, listen, the price tag was not hidden from him. No, he knew the cost. He knew it was death. And yet, he still died for us. He still willingly died for us. He took our place. He laid inside our tomb of sin. He was buried for three days, and then he walked right out again. That's the good news of the gospel, right? That's what he does for us. He transfers us from slaves of sin to slaves of God. And now, if you choose to follow Jesus, you don't get a wage. Ain't no salaries in the kingdom of God, only gifts. And that gift is eternal life. It's an investment that will pay dividends upon dividends, or in other words, Grace upon grace. That's what it's saying here. From age to age, grace upon grace upon grace. Eternal life. It's a gift. You don't earn it. <coughs> All you do is receive it. That's what you do with a gift. And the Bible says the way to receive this gift is through faith in Christ, or faith. Not through works, only faith. And so what does it mean? It simply means believing Jesus is who he says he is, and he came to do exactly what he came to do, what he said he would do, which is reconcile us back to the Father. That's what Jesus did, and it's faith. And if you will do that, he becomes your Lord, your King, 
and your master. And listen, he is the only master who loves his people, who dies for his people, and truly sets his people free.